I'd like you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Can you hear me all right? Is this, uh, this uh, microphone working okay? <clears throat> okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'd like to introduce a topic. This passage introduces a topic, I think, uh, that, uh, that I think needs to be talked about in many churches. I want to say congratulations to all of you because... It looks to me like your Wednesday night crowd testifies to the health of your church. I get around the country and I can tell you that it's not, that, it's not this way everywhere. And uh, I thank God for what he's doing here in this place. First Corinthians chapter 14, I just read a few verses and you'll probably think I'm, I'm headed down a different path when I start, but hang on now, okay? Uh, we'll start. We'll start with the. We're, we're only going to read this section to give the context. Okay, I'm going to give you the context of the topic that we're headed for. First Corinthians chapter 14, and begin reading in verse 18. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than ye all. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the people at Corinth, a, a church that had all kinds of problems, and in this particular chapter, he's talking about the problem of their view of the various gifts. He actually gives three chapters to that topic in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Okay, so he says, I thank God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Basically, he's saying, grow up. <laughs> but I haven't come to the section that I'm really aiming for. Verse 21. I just wanted to give you that so you see the, how he leads into this. Verse 21. In the law, it is written... With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Now, it says in the law, the actual passage that he is quoting is from Isaiah chapter 28. So that's one passage that tells us that sometimes the law is not just talking about uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is usually we think of the law as having to do with the book, books of Moses. But this passage would indicate that even in some ways the book of Isaiah would be included in, in, in uh, the Apostle Paul's viewpoint of the law. So in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. What people? Well, obviously it's talking about the people of Israel that he's going to, this was a warning that God gave in the book of Isaiah that someday I'm not going to be talking to you in the Hebrew tongue. Someday I'm going to talk to you in another, in other tongues. And it's going to be, when you see that happen, it's going to be a warning. And by the way, that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when, when the, when the uh, uh, apostles stood up and they preached and people heard their, their preaching, in the, they heard the preaching in their own languages, languages that those backwoods, hick, hick, uh, hick 
Galileans had obviously not learned, and the people said, wait a minute, <laughs> are not all these which speak Galileans a bunch of hillbillies, you know, and, and here, they are, here they are preaching in our language. Well, now watch what happens. Yet for the, all that, they will not hear me, saith the Lord. <clears throat> Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. <clears throat> but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? People who have never seen that happen before would be shocked and say, what's going on with these people, man? They're talking in some kind of gibberish. I don't get it. What? These people must be nuts. That's what the Bible says. Will they not say that ye are mad? Now watch this. But if all prophesy, and that's talking about preaching, if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all. He is judged of all. Okay, so let's get the picture. So somebody's up there preaching, and he's preaching in a language you can understand. And while he's preaching, here's, here's some guy over here, uh, you know, saying, Amen! Does that ever happen? And some of them pronounce it different. They say, Amen! <laughs> and 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 it gets maybe it gets kind of going like that, and people are saying, "That's right, Amen, come on." See, the passage says if they're speaking in tongues, they're going to think you've lost your marbles and you're you're messed up. But if they're preaching, if it is if it's preaching that's happening, then he says, "They if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned." He is convinced by what the preacher says. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says he's convinced of all. In other words, when the preacher is preaching, you and I, sitting in the pew, have a job to do. We need to be a part of the process. We're not, and the, our part of the process is not to sit back there and say, I like the other preacher better. No. My job is to be a part of his presentation and approving it. If, if I can agree with what he says, I'm not telling you to agree with everything, uh, whether, you, whether you think it's scriptural or not. But if, if the man is preaching the word of God and he's being faithful to the, to the truth, then then you need to be a part of it. Now watch what happens here. Verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. Okay? He's being convinced by, by, by the reaction of all the other people that are listening. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And now watch what happens. And so... Falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. 
Now I've finally gotten to my topic, okay? I want to talk to you about altar workers. Okay? You know, uh, I pastored in the West. I pastored in Casper. Well, I grew up I grew up about 90 miles south of here in Scotts Bluff County. My grandfather's farm, the west, west line of, our proper, of his property was, was the Wyoming border. So, people, you know, I went, to, I went to college in Omaha, and they used to say, where are you from? People used to accuse me of being te- from Texas, and now I am, actually. <laughs> because eastern Nebraskans are different from western Nebraskans, I can tell you that for sure. Well... <clears throat> So, I, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of my life in, in the western states, and God has opened doors for me to preach in a lot of places in the western states. I thank God for that. I thank God for what he's doing in the west. You know, there's, there's a lot of other parts of the country where people kind of look, look askance at us and say, uh, you know, those people out there. Well, let me say to you that I'm convinced that one of the main things that we can do in our churches to justify what God is doing is to obey what this passage says. Many years ago, I was visiting in a, in a uh, seminary, Bible college and seminary library. I was just browsing some of the books, and I realized here was a whole section of bound uh, master's degree theses. And I, they were on this one shelf, so I, I started looking through there and seeing what, the, what, what these guys had written their, their uh, papers on. And, uh, and as I went through it, I happened upon one that was written about on the topic of the modern invitational system. The guy who wrote this thesis and received his master's degree based upon it, his whole contention was that giving of an altar call and giving of an invitation is a rather modern phenomenon that you cannot find it in the Bible. Well, I reckon you won't if you ain't looking for it. So I'm reading one day and I see this, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. I believe that our churches need to make sure that they keep the altar call what it ought to be. Now, I know that there are, and I've observed it in some places, where the altar call can become a ritual unto itself, where the preacher gives an invitation, and the minute he starts, in fact, maybe even before he starts, all the people start coming to the front, and they all come up and kneel down for a couple of minutes, and then they all go back, and and that happens every service. I've seen that. I've been in churches like that. That's a rather frustrating thing, to be honest with you. It's very, a rather frustrating thing for a preacher when it almost seems like it's 
automatic. It's almost, it's kind of like handshaking, you know. Okay, folks, everybody, let's, let's all shake hands. <laughs> oh, oh, that's not what you meant, I see. You follow what I'm saying? It doesn't need to be a ritual. But I do believe it is scriptural Amen. to give an altar call and to, ex to expect a response. Amen. One of the great revivals, uh, revival periods in American history was the first or the, 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 the second great awakening, which was under Charles Finney. And Charles Finney wrote extensively about the altar call. Unfortunately, many of our Bible colleges have forsaken the altar call. Unfortunately, many of our Bible college professors have never seen it used properly. Well, we need altar workers. We need people who will walk the aisle who, and, and, and offer personal help to those who come to the altar. Now, I do believe that sometimes it is helpful when God's people just step out and pray. They're not coming to make a decision of any kind. It's, it's a burden of prayer or something, and they come. When that dries up, I guarantee you it will not be long, and the decision-making of unsaved people, the decision-making of people who are under conviction about things, will dry up as well. So, I didn't talk to the preacher about this. <laughs> he didn't even know I was preaching tonight. I didn't even know I was preaching tonight, okay? So, we haven't talked about this, and I haven't gotten this approved. I don't know, but I, I, I think I know his heart. And I believe that this is a church where the altar call has always been honored, has been utilized. Don't ever let it die. Amen. And when the altar call, let, let, me, let me just talk to you a little bit about how, effect, how the altar call can be effective. Tell me something about the time, brother. My, 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 my left eye just won't get the job done. You, you need a clock that's about that wide back there. It's 8.09, brother. And I'm supposed to be done at? 8.30 or we kick you out. Okay, good. <laughs> I don't like to. I don't. I don't like to be kicked. So here goes. Here's the deal: the pastor cannot give personal attention to every inquirer, every person who comes forward for to make a decision. I mean, it just doesn't work. Especially by the time a church gets to the size that this one is. It's not going to work. The pastor may want to try to help every person, and, and of course, he can work on it throughout the week and try to follow up with people, and he does, I'm sure, but, but the pastor cannot possibly give personal attention to every inquirer. Uh, I, I remember when I was early on as an evangelist, I was preaching in a Bible camp in southern Colorado, and I I had never been there before. In fact, I, I was just getting started as an evangelist, really, and, and they, they had invited me to come to this camp. I knew almost, I, in fact, I don't think I had met anybody who was there. I was completely the outsider. I got up the first night, and I preached, and I gave an altar call, 
And so many young people, it was a teen, as a teen camp, and there were so many young people that came forward that I began to call for the counselors to come and help, and nobody moved. I said, pastors, I need for you to come and help us, help us and pray with these young people. Nobody moved. And so finally I said, I said, young people, I, uh, the, the people who have come forward, I want to ask you to just be seated in these front, front, uh, this front section here. And I probably had 20 or more that I had, had to get, get them somehow seated. I had to move people out. And, uh, and, and then the camp director came up and dismissed everybody. He didn't say a word about the altar call or about these other people. I had already said, I'm going to talk to each one of these kids. And so I stayed and I prayed with and counseled with every one of those kids till everyone else in the campground had gone to bed. When I, when I finally finished, I went to the, out the door and I looked out and the only light on was the one on the outside of the chapel. I finally figured out where the light switch was and I kind of aimed in a certain direction. They had me under an old army tent and I knew that my... My, uh, my bunk, my, not my bunk, it wasn't a bunk, it was a, uh, an army cot. This arm, my army cot was out in the middle of that tent somewhere. I had to find my way out there by Braille. <laughs> That's what I'm, lear I'm learning to preach by Braille now. But back then I had to just do the altar call by Braille. And so I finished up, and, and I'll tell you, I hardly got any sleep all night because tossing and turning and saying and praying and saying dear lord why didn't those preachers come to help me why didn't those why didn't those counselors come lord i don't understand did i make some mistake did i mess up or what several kids have been saved many many years later i was i i i had a facebook page and a, and and uh uh i i wrote something about having been at that camp many many years before and a, a kid uh, uh, who is now a grown man wrote a, wrote a response and said, I, I'm, not, I'm now a motorcycle mechanic in Tennessee, but I got saved that first night of that camp. Amen. He said, I had made up my mind that I wasn't going to go into, there, in, into that uh, chapel and listening to the preaching, listen to the preaching, but he said, uh, I, cu I couldn't get away from it. And when they began the altar call, I came in. I didn't realize that uh, somebody came in. He came in that night and got saved that night. Amen. Well, uh, you see, the place of the altar worker is to give in individual attention to those persons who are seeking help. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And folks, listen, you're here on Wednesday night. That means that you are among those who are, you're, you're being trained. You're being trained to do God's work one way or another. And it, and it may be that, that the most significant work that God may use you for is, is to kneel with someone here at the altar, to kneel with someone by this front chair and, and pray with them and talk to them about, help them to trust Christ, help them to get their questions answered about why it is that they don't have assurance of salvation, get their questions answered about baptism, about church membership, issues that, that, that they, they're struggling with, family issues, and so on and so on. 
in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. You know the passage says that the, uh, the and, and it's talking about Jesus, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says Christ, he, in, in a previous verse, it refers to Christ. And it says, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. See, the reason you have a pastor and the reason you have an evangelist come through is to help to perfect you to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not just for the pastor to do. It's not just for the Sunday school teacher to do. The work of the ministry is for every believer to do. Let me just talk to you briefly about the, uh, the, the person of the altar worker. The altar worker needs to be saved and scripturally baptized. And I don't know what your procedures are here, but I I would say to you that if you desire to be a part of it, and I'll say this, when you are a part of that work at the altar, you are really in preparation. You know, I've known many people who had really never personally led somebody to Christ, but they got started at the altar dealing with people who, who came under, already under conviction. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to talk to them at the door. They didn't have to knock on the door at all. And I, I'm all for all of those things, but, but it's a, this, is, this, is a, this is a ground, a place where you can learn and you can perfect your skills at, at the handling of the Word of God. So, but you need to be saved and baptized. You must know that you are saved. Uh, how can you help somebody else if you're not sure? And, 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 then, and then you need to be convinced and, and know the scriptures or at least have them written down in the back of your Bible somewhere, some, some kind of a cheat sheet that will, get, will remind you of the right passages to, to open and, and to show people that baptism is the first step of obedience and, and that if you refuse that first step of obedience to, to be baptized, uh, how can you obey the Holy Spirit in helping other people? And so that's why I say you need to be saved and baptized to be a good altar worker. You need to be, you need to be a, a, a Christian who is uh, moving toward the Lord, moving toward being more Christ-like in every way that you possibly can. I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to uh, talk about externals now, but, but the truth is that what's inside comes out. And, and, and as you grow in the Lord, your exterior does change. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just going to change. Even your, your face, your countenance will, 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 uh, will change. It's not like my, my dad used to say, my face, uh, I don't mind it because I'm behind it. It's folks out in front get the jar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be true, but that you don't mind it. But let me say to you that God is fin- finishing a work in you, and as He does, He'll change the exterior. Uh, and and I, I think of a fellow that I was trying to train soul winning many years ago, and we, he would go with me. This guy stood about six foot seven, and we'd walk up the door, and and uh, people would look at him, and and I realized that people were just. They, couldn't, they could hardly listen to me. I was doing the talking, but they wouldn't look at me. They kept looking at him. And so uh, I, I, t- I took a few strategic peeks, you know, to see, see what was going on. Man, this guy had such a grim look on his face. And finally, I took him aside, and I said, brother, listen, 
you have got to learn to smile. You're scaring people to death. <laughs> you know? It's, so, uh, you know, uh, there are many issues that we could talk about as far as being a separated Christian. But let me move on to this. To be not only saved, scripturally baptized, separated unto the Lord, but to be a, a soul winner at the very minimum, attempting to learn how and to be effective as a soul winner and having that as your heart and your, your goal. But, but if, if you allow those things to take place in your life, you can be very effective and God can use it in your life. I think I'm going to chop it off right there. <laughs> I could go another half hour, hour. <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's a strategic topic. And I want to tell you, there are many churches that are dropping it. I, I watch preachers all the time who uh, give an invitation, and uh, maybe they sing one verse, they sing two verses, and, uh, and they often say things like this, and I've said this myself, so I'm not cr cr criticizing anybody. But I think there's a danger in getting in the habit of saying, if no one comes on this verse, we'll close. Why warn them? <laughs> Why warn them? There's no need to do that. And, and you know, many times we get so that we're, we're scared to death of long altar calls. I don't, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not promoting a long altar call just for the sake of having a long altar call, but I'm definitely not promoting short altar calls. <laughs> They just happen pretty easily by themselves. And don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to say that every person needs to respond to the altar call every time. But, oh, listen, there's something very special going on when the preacher steps back and the Holy Spirit is at work. Amen. And we're waiting on God to see what God will do Amen. in hearts. My wife and I moved into a house we bought a house in Texas where we're living now. And uh, the man was very friendly when I was buying the house, but as soon as we signed the contract, he wasn't so friendly anymore. But I kept going back and talking to him. And I, I started talking to him about the things of the Lord. It just so happened that his interest in political matters became kind of a segue for me to talk about the things of God. A few months later, I had the privilege of bringing, getting him to come to church and sit with me. When the altar call came, I invited him to go up with me. He did. He made a public profession of his salvation. Amen. I was shocked. <laughs> I was a new member, but the pastor's turned to me and said, why don't you baptize him? I, I haven't been a pastor since 1996. It's been a long time since I baptized, but uh, I, did, I baptized him that night. His wife's still not saved, but she comes almost every Sunday because she can't come every Sunday because of her job, but when she does come, she always hugs my wife. She grew up in Europe, and, and uh, even English is a foreign language to her. And, and so she has found it very difficult to, to uh, 
find herself at home. And she's found a great deal of acceptance with my wife. And she comes and she'll, she'll hug my wife and then she'll literally lay her head on my wife's shoulder and as if, like a child. She, we've talked to her personally. We've explained the gospel. We've had Bible studies together. But she hasn't come to that place of breaking loose and, and surrendering her heart to Christ. Folks, listen. The work of God just goes on and on. The fields are white unto harvest. Heavenly Father, please help us to stay at it. And Lord, I pray, I thank you, Lord, for the great testimony of this church. And Lord, I thank you for Pastor Brooks and for his leadership here. And Lord, we do pray again right now for his healing, that you would raise him up to health. And now, Lord, as we take a moment to, to finish this message tonight, we pray that you would work in people's hearts. I pray, Lord, thy, word, thy will be done in each life 